Um, I was just thinking about this. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Do I need a microphone? Um, I was just thinking about just a lot of things this, this, this week regarding Christmas. And how many of you know people that are kind of having a difficult time? I think we all do having a difficult time this, this holiday. Because I think there's a lot of people, a lot of us, maybe there's people in this room that, and I think just about everybody could be in that category of uh, people that were with us last year but are not with us this year. You know, and for whatever reason that is, uh, they're not with us. And so we come to this Christmas season with, um, I think, a sense of, of joy and, and, and knowing that God is sovereignly in control in our life. Yet at the same time, I think there's a measure of brokenness. And I spoke with a young teenager um, a couple days ago. And I asked her, I said, what are your friends talking about? You know, what are your friends talking about this season and what is on their minds? What are the conversations that are going on in the circles, your circles? And she said to my wife and I, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, friends, a lot of my friends don't have uh, money for Christmas and they don't have um, family members for Christmas. And um, last week we talked about the Advent joy. And I just want to talk about light, Advent light this week, this Sunday, today. And I just want to talk about light in darkness. And I really believe that the Bible is very, very, um, very practical and very pertinent for every detail of our life. Um, and Christmas is a time where, as we just talked about last week, that people can get so wrapped up in uh, the idealistic, romantic, kind of, you know, mystical feeling about Christmas. And yet just really miss the true, the great truth and the great power of Christmas is that Jesus was born into our darkest night. And I want to talk about that. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 9. And I want to point at something maybe that I don't think that we've seen before. Um, I always like to say something fresh. And I really want, I don't want to repeat something that, um, that, uh, that um, I think maybe can be repeated over and over and over in certain seasons. But I do want to read this scripture in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. And um, I want to just read this from the Amplified Bible. And we'll start at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. Wait a minute, I want to stop there for a second. Walking in darkness. And you know what walking is? Have you ever walked in darkness? Walking is like, it's this chronic, linear experience of just dark. <laughs> just darkness. And darkness means, whenever darkness is mentioned in the Bible, very rarely is it used to describe light, the lack of light. Darkness usually is used to describe spiritual darkness. I mean, I think at school, you see maybe spiritual darkness sometimes. You see people living in darkness uh, at work or people that we live, live with. Darkness is something that people at times and at times in our life where we're walking through chronic darkness. And it's just a linear day-by-day experience where it just seems to never end. And here in Isaiah, I love the book of Isaiah because it's the book about, it's one of the most um, hopeful inspiring, um, positive, eternally transforming prophecies of what's coming with Christ. And and, uh, it says here in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of intense darkness, 
and a shadow of death. Upon them has the light shined. Now, this is talking in the past tense, right? This has not happened yet when Isaiah was writing this. This is talking about something that's going to happen, but as it's in the past tense. Does that make sense? Like, it's like saying, I'm going to go to the store, I'm going to go to H-E-B, and I'm going to go pick up some food for Christmas dinner. And it's like, but it's like you're saying, I went to H-E-B, and I went in and I bought Christmas dinner. I bought things for Christmas. I say it in the past tense. Because God does not live in the present. I'm sorry, God does not live in the future, and God does not live in the past. God's living in the present. And so in God's mind, everything is completed. Everything is finished. Everything is beautiful. There's nothing that's lacking in your life. There's nothing lacking in your marriage. There's nothing lacking in your walk with God. Because you are a finished product of the finished grace trophy of Jesus Christ in his eyes at this moment. Isn't that amazing? It's not something that we're trying to attain. I'm trying to get better and more spiritual. Or I'm trying to get more used by God or, 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 or better morally in this area of my life. But it speaks about something that is in the past tense that... These people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of intense darkness and the shadow of death upon them has the light shined. You, O Lord, in verse 3, have multiplied the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you like the joy in harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil of battle. For the yoke of Israel's burden. Why is this joy? For the yoke of Israel's burden and the staff were rod for goading their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor you have broken as in the day of Gideon with Midian. It's talking about victory here. It's talking about the shedding off of burdens. It's talking about broken yokes. It's talking about the breaking of depression, the breaking of sadness, the breaking of fear, the breaking of guilt, the, the breaking of shame. And for every, and look, verse five, I, I want to look at verse five. And this is something I'd never seen this in verse before ever. And I've been a Christian for I don't know how many years, but I've, I've never seen this verse like this before. And I'm excited about to talk about it in a minute. But it says this. It's a little, it's a little bit puzzling when you read like, what, why is this verse in this kind of discussion about the promise? And it says here, for every trampling warrior's war boots and all his armor in the battle tumult, and every garment rallied or rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. Think about that verse. Just keep that in mind, okay? It doesn't sound very Christmas-like, but it's an amazing verse. Verse 6. For, us, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Okay? Let's think of those words for a minute. I was reading recently, I think it was the Houston Chronicle. I was talking about um, the state of, and you've heard me talk about it before, but it's really in my heart, the state of young people in this area. Young, young people. When I say young people... I'm talking about people that are anywhere like from the ages of 11 up to teenage years. And I um, read something very disturbing. Um, and when I read stuff like this, it just makes me want to pray more. It makes me want to get engaged more with our youth in our, in our neighborhoods. Um, it makes me want to really reach out and make sure that we don't have youth that, that are in our circles that are being overlooked. And that, um, and I, cause I remember as a teenager, uh, 15, 16, 17 year old, very dark years for me personally. I mean, I was a Christian, but they were very, very dark. Um, I mean, even as an 11 year old, I remember like just like seeking God, like just wondering, you know, who is God? And is there any like in my life, any kind of joy that I can just look forward to? Because I had a really fa- hard family situation. 
And I read this, depression and suicide impact a significant number of Texan youth, significantly among the youth aged 13 to 17 in Texas. And listen to this, the 12 month prevalence rates are estimated to be 160,000 for depression and 186 for self-injury and self-harming behaviors. Now, why is that? Why is that happening today? Is it because kids are messed up? Is it because, is it because, I think it's because of spiritual darkness. I think that we live in a time where, where we have, as adults, have, and we as a church, have allowed things to have preeminence in our homes and in our lives and our decisions. Where, and it's not always, I can't, I can't say that we can't blame ourselves as parents all the time, but it's something where, where the devil really wants to destroy the next generation. And, um, and you know, I remember as a teenager, I didn't even realize what was going on. Like, I remember being a target of the devil and not even knowing that. Just thinking, like, who am I? Why would I even be a target of the devil? You know, why would the devil even want to mess with me? You know, like, I'm nothing, you know? I was in high school and, and wasn't doing great. And I just was, I just, I would have been happy if I could just be as gray as those walls and just kind of slip in unnoticed into the, into the walls there and just not be even noticed. And I think what happens is, is that, the reason why we have this, the reason why we have such discouraged and broken youth and such darkness when it should be just the other way around. Like, you know, I was talking with somebody and my son, if you know my son, Caleb, he's got a lot of energy, you know, he's just like, he needs two babysitters. <laughs> like, if you've been in our house, you know, if you've ever been in our bed, visiting in our house, we have a babysitter, we need, we got like, you know, like Caleb woke up the other morning. Oh no, in the middle of the night, he was like, Gabby, where's Gabby? Like he was crying. He was like half asleep. You know, he, he was looking for Gabby. But Caleb needs two babysitters. And I was kind of like thinking, man, you know, what's wrong with us? We got like a really high, high energy, not hyperactive, but just high energy kid. And I had someone tell me, they said, you know what? He's four years old. He's four. <laughs> That's normal. A normal kid has energy. And they're like, you know, they love life. They love running, crashing, scraping themselves and, and playing with the dog, you know. And I just thought, you know, like with our youth today, I think that there's such a spiritual attack on them that it really wants to destroy. And if I could say something to the youth today, I think the devil really wants to steal your joy and he wants to steal your outlook and he wants to steal your, 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 your self-worth. And don't let him do that. Don't let, don't let people into your life that have so much authority and so much say in your life that they could say something or text you something or say something on social media that would really bother you. Don't give anybody that, that place. Because, and I know it's hard because... As a young person, we're really looking for identity. We're looking for meaning. Like, who am I in this adult world? You know, and, and what happens is, is that there's so much pressure. And, and here's the thing. Like, um, when you have academic, moral, and social pressure, okay? Those are some big words. Academic mm-hmm. pressure, moral pressure. Like, you got to be good. Um, somebody told me the other day that, like, you know, they're under so much pressure morally from their... From their, from their parents, and the parents continually just tell them, you're a bad girl, you're a bad girl. And this moral pressure, what happens is, is that this causes depression. Now, what's depression? And I don't want to talk about this the whole service today, because I, I want a happy sermon. But depression is like, if you press something, right, you're pushing a button, you're pushing it down, there's weight, there's force there, it's going down, right? It's, it's succumbing to the power of what you're pushing. Depress means to lift up, right? To depress a button means to take your finger off of it and it pops up, right? Generally. 
to, to depress something means that the pressure is released and, and now it's, it's able to rise or to lift up. The pressure is gone. And what happens is, is that when we live, and this is with adults too, is that when there's an academic or moral or social pressure, this pressure, um, we're under this pressure. One of two things can happen. I can succeed and be very popular and very beautiful and very like people want to be with me. They want to be my friends. Or I could fail. Nobody wants to be around me. Nobody wants to spend time with me. And everybody looks at me as like a failure. I, don't, I think that we've all been in those places. And what happens is, is when the pressure comes off, whether because I fail or I succeed, the pressure's off. Right? The pressure's off. I've failed or I've succeeded. I'm popular. I'm not popular. I've, I've made the grade or I didn't make the grade. And now the pressure's off. Then there is this experience where uh, the pressure subsides and the soul depresses. Does that make sense? Are you following me? No? Like the soul begins to like, it's no, no, no longer under pressure. And what happens is, is that we discover that whatever is in my soul at that time, if I understand that I'm loved, or if I understand that God has a plan for me, or if I understand that a child is given to me, at that point, I'm going to experience um, joy, or I'm going to experience a depression because I didn't make the cut, or I could succeed and just not have that joy. Um, I think I may have mentioned this, but I was um, at the park um, a few weeks ago, and there was this guy there, tattoos all over him, New York accent, and I just so I gravitated towards him because <laughs> he had New York accent. I said, like, oh, fellow Yankee. And I just said, um, we started talking, and he had these little kids. I thought they were, I thought they were his grandkids. And he's sitting there talking, and... Um, and, you know, I usually like to share the gospel when I have a conversation with someone. I like to bring up the topic of God or how great God is in my life. And I begin to talk with him. And he said, you know, I live right in the area here. My daughter is an actress. And I said, oh, okay. And, and so he showed me pictures of her. And I didn't recognize her because I didn't know the, act- the actress. I guess she, and this was uh, Lindsay Lohan. And I was like, I, cause, and I heard about her on the news that, that she was just messed up, that there was like she was drugs and all this stuff that was going on in her life. And I remember there was just a lot of social shame on the media, remember? Right. Just a lot of like, you know, bad person, bad woman, she's getting in trouble, she's arrested again, and over and over. And I looked at her, I said, and I, and I still didn't get it. Um, and he goes, you know, my, dad, my name is, you know, he told me his name and he told me his last name. I said, Lohan. I thought, I wonder if that's the, you know, I wonder if he's related to that actress. And then he said, like, he... He saw that I wasn't getting it. He said, Lindsay Lohan's my daughter. I said, oh, okay. And then he began, and he was, a, he was a Christian. And he actually had served with a pastor in the area and that, you know, that God had really done some great work. And he said, what you don't, the media really beat her up. And what you don't know about her is that she got saved. That there was, she made a decision for Christ. She came out of all of that and began to do some mission work in Syria. And he started showing me pictures. And he said, that's what you don't hear. There are you, 10 Italian Syrians. You, you don't hear that in, in the news and in the media. Because people live in this world of shame. And what happens is, is that when the depression happens, the darkness can get in the, underneath our skin. And darkness results in our soul and when we fail or succeed in things that, we, that don't matter. That the depression comes in or the sadness comes in when we're succeeding or failing in the things that don't matter in the eyes of God. I think that like, you know... It's fun because we're just developing our worship team here and we're just developing things. And, 
in the church as we just kick off in this new area and we're just excited about what the Lord is doing. And I think that what we really want to succeed in is really that there would be unity, love, anointing, and fellowship and just breaking of bread together, bearing one another's burdens. That's really, and I think the Lord will take the rest, take care of the rest. I think in some circles, it's really like, and you know, naturally, I'm the kind of person, I like everything just a certain way. I'm just like, you know, I'm just personality type. Uh, there's a name for it. But I just like just things orderly and like nice looking. I just like that, you know, and that's just what I gravitate towards. But <laughs> in the cross life, the Lord doesn't give you the things that you naturally have a pro- proclivity towards. I mean, God doesn't allow it that way because that's not God's economy. God's economy is an economy of grace, an economy where, where the cross comes in, and really it's all about Christ. And so if Christ shows up at our services, you know what I'm saying? If Christ shows up, if Christ can speak to us through the word, if somebody can make a decision for Christ, then you know what? I'm good. Like if somebody can walk out of the service and say, you know, I heard from God. I heard from God. Then it makes our move to Texas worth it. It makes everything worth it. I'm, I'm happy. I'm really happy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really blessed. Like Billy, Billy and Candace Turner, you know, they are, they are, they were with us for a while and they served with us. And the goal was and his vision as a, as a young man was that he would at one point lead a group, a, 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 just a, a gathering of people in the Magnolia area where he could serve and love on people. And it's happening. And I feel like that's great. I love it. I love what he's doing. Pray for them. Uh, they're dear. I talk with them very often. And this is really, um, and I think that what can happen is, is that if we're living with a standard when we're living with something that is not God's, that is not important in eternity, like, you know, when I die and I go to the grave, will it matter if I, was a, if I had a 4.0 average or 3.6 or maybe a 3.0 average? I mean, does that matter? I mean, I mean it's, good to, it's great to have that during your life. Does it matter if I drove a, a Ford F-150 Platinum <laughs> or a, you know, like a, like a, you know, something else, you know, does that matter? It's cool. I mean, I like, I like nice things, but does it really matter? What does it really matter in things? And I think that what can happen is, is that when we start living in something that's not a gift, and I want to get that to in a second here, when I live in something, when I don't understand the gift of the grace of Jesus Christ at Christmas time, I'm living in some type of acquirement and achievement that when I climb the top of the ladder, I realize, you know what? I spent the last 30 years climbing the wrong ladder. I'm on the wrong building, you know? And I'm like, I'm supposed to be over there, and I'm right here, and I don't know how to fix that. You know, um, darkness, you know, darkness can come into a person's mind. It, it, it just clouds our minds in Ephesians 4.17. It causes blindness in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. And David said this in Psalm 13. Um, it causes anxiety and worry. And, you know, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? This is the thing, is that like, you know, when we talk about, when we talk about Christmas, when Christmas time comes, um, we really enjoy the lights, right? I think that they're, like my wife and I, we drove home last night. Was it last night or the other night? We drove home. We just drove around our neighborhood looking at the lights, you know? I just like looking at lights. It just kind of reminds us of, you know, just Christmas is past. And there's something about light. And when Christmas comes, I think the key word, the most one of the most important words, the, the significant words that we see is the word light. And, um, and yet it's such a dark time. Um, God's greatest redemptive work happens in darkness. 
in the darkest times in people's lives. You know, if you look back at the darkness, darkest times of your life, you're going to remember the closeness of God. You're going to, know, you're going to remember the presence of the Lord. Uh, you're going to remember crying out to the Lord when you had no other options. And then, the, and then you're going to remember the presence of Christ. And, you know, um, I love this because most cultures don't celebrate Christmas Day. They celebrate the Christmas Eve. It's a time of darkness. The creation story, the day begins with evening. Read the creation story. We put day first, the light first, and then night, darkness. But God's work always starts with darkness. In creation, it was the darkest. It was dark, and then there was day. There was, it began with evening, and then there was day. And this is how it works. Darkness, not as we do today, day and night. Here's another example of God doing great things at night. Just as the Passover lamb, when, which portrayed the lamb of God, Jesus Christ dying as a substitute for all of us was commanded to be slaughtered between the evenings in the darkness. Exodus chapter 12, 6. I love this. I, I was talking with our teenagers in Ukraine. Every week I do a Zoom call for teenagers. That You know what? No matter what country you live in, it's, all, it's the same thing. <laughs> China, Ukraine, America, Mexico, it's all the same thing. Psalm 97, verse 2. Listen to this awesome verse. The God of all light dwells in thick darkness. It surrounds him. You know that? Like, Lord, give me some light. You know, I want some, I want some clarity in my life. Where am I going? What am I doing? What's going to happen next month, next year? Is there, any, is there going to be any kind of clarity? And it's just dark, and it just stays dark. But you know something? Psalm 139, verse 12, it says that there's no darkness for God. The darkness and the light are the same. God's not thinking in dark or light. And you know, God dwells in thick darkness. And I want to say this, is that when it, when, whenever we face darkness, and when we talk to people that are facing darkness, and people are facing darkness, um, yesterday on Kirkendall Road, we were waiting for our babysitter to come. Was it yesterday? Yeah. And um, she texted us and said there was a fiery crash on Kirkendall Road. Both cars are inflamed, engulfed in flames. And, and uh, there was, you know, no one could have survived that. It's like, you know, that was a very dark day for a family. We just never know what's going to happen. But we do know this, that God dwells in thick darkness. That God dwells in thick darkness. And clouds are around him. But for God, this is not darkness. Listen to this verse in Exodus 14, verse 20. I like the Bible, by the way. I like reading Bible verses. Doesn't it, isn't that great? Like, I think you'd rather much hear Bible verses, in my opinion, especially as a Yankee coming down here to Texas. You want to hear the Bible, right? Not, not my opinion on things. <laughs> Exodus 14, verse 20. Remember the situation. The, 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 the Egyptians had chased the Israelites down to the Red Sea, and they're pinned against the Red Sea. And it's, and, and it's like, you know, they're about ready to get clobbered by these Egyptians. And then what happens is that God came between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was a cloud of darkness between the Israelites and the Hebrews. I mean, the Israelites and the, and the Egyptians. And it says in verse 20, it says, but on the Hebrew side, on the Israelite side, it was day, it was bright light. But on the, on the Egyptian side, it was darkness. You know something, whenever God works in your life, some people are going to interpret it as darkness. Well, what a dark time you went through. That's terrible. I'm so sad to hear that. And then I think for us who know how to walk through things, who walk through darkness, walk through hard times, you know, um, I, I just think that, like, like it's just there's, we see the light of God. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so don't run from darkness. You know, I'm so, and I hope I don't embarrass her, but I'm so blessed by Kelly's life. She's, 
She's been through, I say this all the time, she's been through so much, so many crazy things, and yet, like, she's a healthy person that loves God and is walking with God. It's just amazing that that lady doesn't know how to quit. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5 and 6. Let's go back to this for a second. And I want to close with this. How do, instead of personalizing the darkness, instead of personalizing the difficulties, instead of letting stress and anxiety and failure and success get under our skin and cause, cause depression, or because a person can succeed like Lindsay Lohan, but just be such a mess and just be so depressed. And how do we do that? How do we not personalize and internalize uh, the darkness? Well, we need to personalize and internalize the light of the birth of Christ. Now, that sounds really abstract, doesn't it? Personalize the light and the birth of Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, like, what does that mean? Like, what does that even, how does that, what does that translate practically in, in a person's life? Well, Jesus was not just born in darkness, the world's darkness, but he was born into our personal darkness of shame, fear, and guilt. We think that we have to run from God when, when it's dark, when we've failed, when we are not the Christian that we are supposed to be. We're not the Christian that everybody thinks we are. We're not the Christian that we think we should be. You know, we think we just run from that. We run from the shame. And you know what personalizes darkness in your life? Shame. Shame just like guilt means I feel like I did something bad. That was a bad thing I did. Shame is I'm bad. Something's wrong with me. And when we live in shame, that just personalizes all this darkness in our life. Instead of that, understand this, is that Jesus was not born in the middle of the day. Jesus did not come to this earth like on a stage in Hollywood. Jesus came in the middle of the night. Think of that. Jesus came into this world. Jesus Christ came into your life and into my life in the darkest moment you could have ever imagined. Jesus Christ comes into our life. He pierces the darkness. He lives there. He seeks that out. And he's not content in our life until he's addressing every dark corner in my soul. And we're like, oh, no, no, not that place, God. Not that room. Not that area, God. But Jesus is like, no, I want to I I pierce that. I want to set you free from that fear. I want to set you free from that burden of achievement or success, that burden of, of like, I, I, you know, I can sometimes think like this as a husband, like I've got, to, I've got to provide for my family. And, you know, what a bad guy I am if I can't do that. And, you know, Jesus was not born in darkness, but, but into our personal darkness of shame and guilt. He's not ashamed of our dark corners. And I love this verse. Look at verse 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 5 again. And I want to look at this verse for a second. For every tramp, tramping warrior's war boots and all his armor in the, in the battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. What does that mean? That's talking about military equipment. That's talking about equipment that you use when you go into battle. This is talking about, this is talking about what we do when we gear up for a battle. You know, depression starts coming, up, starts coming back on. Oh, oh my gosh, here it comes. And we just, we start, we just start gearing ourselves up for, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to fight this? How am I going to just um, overachieve? How am I going to just get this? And you know something? The writer here, Isaiah, says, you can take all that and burn it because it's not necessary. All the fleshly weapons that we have, throw it in the fire. It just doesn't work. It never works. All of our self-defense mechanisms, all of our anger, all of our lashing out, all of our protecting of ourselves, all the stuff that we do so that we never, ever get hurt again or that we never, ever get, you know, that we never into a place of confusion or darkness, all of this stuff that we do, it just, it's all only good for the fire. Just throw it away. Don't, like, don't resort to the old ways. Don't resort to the pity parties. Don't resort to this, 
to, to all the things that we do so that we can just generate some sense of, of self-worth. Are you following me? Am I? So we just get rid of all that. We don't need that because it just never works. It never works. And I love this. He said, because for us a child is born. And this is the point, main point of the messages, is that the fleshly, the carnal weapons don't work in our life. Anger and, and bitter envy and all of these weird things that we resort to when we're broken and we're ashamed, living in shame and we feel like I'm such a failure or I'm such a success. When we live in that, that, that doesn't do anything for us. And that's just battle equipment that God wants to, to, to burn. Why? Because that stuff doesn't matter in the eyes of God. What matters is the gift, is that you, have been give, you and I have been given a gift in the worst moment of our lives. Here's Peter. I love this. I love this with Peter. Peter has just failed three times. He's denied Christ three times. He is, he is, Judas denied him once, right? Here's Peter three times. I mean, some could say, like, what, you know, what Peter did was, was more vocally against, what, what, against Jesus than what Judas had done. And so here's Peter, and he's like, you know, he's, he's back on the water. He's gone back to the thing he knows. He's gone back to the old equipment. He's gone back to the old life. He's, he's on the Sea of Galilee, and he says, you know, I'm done. I'm done. That was a great run for three years, um, but he's gone now. He died. We're all confused. We don't even know what's happening. We thought he was going to set up the kingdom on the earth. Uh, we, we just, you know, but now it's like, okay, what was that all about? I don't know. And so we're back on the water, and then and Jesus appears on the beach, and he says to him, to Peter, the same thing he said when he called Peter, cast your net on the right side. And he does that, and there's, and there's, a, there's a slew of fish. And Peter remembers the graciousness of Christ come to him during the time of when he was in a place of unbelief. In our, on our, in, guys, in, in our most, like as a teenager, when you are under so much temptation, when you're under so much depression, when you're under so much pressure, and you just feel the pressure of people, you know, that coming on you, like at that moment, look for the gift of the grace of Christ, that for unto us a son is born. Something has been given to us that brings us, that brings so much meaning into our life that I don't need to achieve. I can trust the Lord. I don't need to, I don't need to check all these boxes that I think need to be checked. And you know something, a good indicator that I'm not living in the grace of God is when I start living in fear and anxiety. I can, I, at that moment, I was like, you know something, I'm, I'm not functioning right now in grace. I'm not functioning in the unlimited favor of God in my life. And when, and, and when we function in that, we need to understand that, you know something, it, I, let me just say it this way. If holiness and awful power, somebody said this, if holiness and awful power and the majesty of God was present in this least auspicious of all events, talking about the birth of Christ, this birth of a peasant's child, then there is no place or time so lowly and earthbound, but that holiness, that holiness can be present there too. It's like God can show up, if, if God can show up in the darkness of a stable among the animals and the shepherds, then he can show up anywhere. He might even look for him. Uh, we might even look for him in the messy places of our lives. God isn't afraid to show up in the unlikely, unseen, and humble places. We might even say that he prefers it. Why does, why does he prefer that? Does God love to live in, in, the, in, the, in, in sin and disaster of sin? No. But it's interesting. Jesus always sought that out. He sought the publicans and the sinners. He sought the up and the outers. He sought, he sought people that didn't qualify in the moral pressure of, of, of Christianity in America. He sought them out. He looked for them, and then he called them out. 
he called them out. I think that when we just put away our natural, our, our carnal weapons, our natural thinking about things, and we just trust the Lord, then peace comes into our mind. Peace comes into our heart. And I think, I, you know, I, I, I just love how God works. Recently, we were in a situation where my wife and I were in a situation where, where there was like nothing that we could do. We were just in a situation like, Lord, we've done everything we could. And it looked like it was going to go good, and it didn't go good. <laughs> and we're just like, Lord, I don't know what to do. And, and then I just remember sitting in my truck. I think I was driving down this road going underneath this. It's funny how you can remember where you were, God, when God speaks to you. I was driving underneath this underpass over here. And I just remember, like, God, I, I'm, I'm broken. I'm, I'm, I'm broke. <laughs> I, like, I don't know what to do. I'm at your mercy. Like, Lord, if you do not work, you know, then... then then, then it's, we're dead in the water in this situation. And I just remember, like, just at that moment, breaking and just, like, being broken before the Lord in the truck, just thinking, God, I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly where I need you to be. When you don't know what you are doing, when you don't know where you are, you don't know, like, what to do. When you, and, and I think that we, we come to God and we say, oh, God, okay, I really tried. I'm so sorry. I did my best, but I just couldn't do it, and it didn't work out. And then I'm so embarrassed, but it, I have to come to you for help, you know? And God's like, that's exactly what, that was the whole purpose of the test, the trial, to bring you to a place where you just cry out to my mercy and you say, Lord, I need a child. I need, to, I need to be a child to be born in this darkness right now. I need a Christmas gift. I need a gift of the great, I need the gracious gift of God. I need God to move in his graciousness. And when he does that, in a moment, fear, depression, guilt, all that stuff just, it just dissipates. And then we see Christ. We see Christ. We see him. And we have communion with him in the most humblest and most broken and most, you know, most, most embarrassing situations. So we could just be there and we can see Christ is there too. Psalm 139. It said, if I make my bed in hell, you are there also. I love Christmas because instead of being some high idealistic, mystical thing. It, the truth of Christmas is that he's born in our deep brokenness and our fears. And, and it's enough for Christ to be there. And if he's there in our midst and he's communing with us in our hearts, then there's no longer that fear. And you know what? If I don't qualify, if I get a C instead of a B, if I get a B instead of an A, it's like, it's okay. It does not mean I'm a bad person. You know? Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father,